Let us continue our worship with the reading from James 1, 2 through 8. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials, for you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance or steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Morning. Everyone doing okay? Glad you're with us today. Uh, this is our last conversation about doubt. We've been talking about it for, I don't know, over a month now. Um, I've been very encouraged by it. I hope you've been challenged by it. And we've been saying things like this. We've been saying things like, hey, we have to learn to walk through seasons of doubt as Christians. We have to learn to walk through our own seasons. We have to learn to walk with others through their seasons of doubt. Doubt's a part of the process of owning real, authentic faith yourself, um, a faith that can endure storms. Uh, we've said things like we all have time in between. I'm just kind of re refreshing you on what we've said. We've said, you know, when life doesn't appear congruent with a loving God, we tend to doubt, don't we? When things crash and burn in times of grief, in times of disappointment, um, all of that stuff plays into what you believe as a person, what you believe about God, what you're willing to believe about life, right? We've talked about the fact that many Christians don't feel permission to doubt. They don't feel permission to ask hard questions as if the whole thing's a house of cards that'll crumble under any real scrutiny. And we've said over and over again, God is not threatened by your doubts. Read the Psalms, right? We looked at multiple examples of God's elect, his chosen people struggling through doubt and expressing their doubts in shocking, visceral ways in the Psalms. When Jeremiah accuses God of lying to him, you deceived me the prophet says to the Almighty, right? And then we walked with the disciples through the three days, the three days of doubt, of death, before Jesus rose from the dead, where they were utterly confused, where they thought everything they had just built their life around, this man Jesus crumbled around them. It was a tragic um, happening in their, in their imagination at the time. He had died. The movement was over. And we walked with them through this season of disillusionment and disappointment and how they struggled to believe um, that Jesus had rose from the dead, even when they're looking at him straight in the face. We've said things like the evidence is secondary in many cases when it comes to what you will believe about life and God in reality. And the, so this Tim Keller quote, really, who uh, passed away this past week, um, Tim Keller, amazing pastor of New York, um, this, this quote um, sums up what we were getting after with this whole conversation about doubt. I'm going to read it to you. I've read it before. I'm going to read it to you again. A faith without some doubts is like a human body without any antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight 
if she has failed over the years to listen patiently to her own doubts or his, which those doubts should only be discarded after long reflection. Believers should acknowledge and wrestle with doubts, not only their own, but their friends and their neighbors, no longer sufficient to hold to beliefs just because you inherited them. Only if you struggle long and hard with objections to your faith will you be able to provide grounds for your beliefs to skeptics, including including yourself, that are plausible rather than ridiculous or offensive. Such a process, walking through doubt, struggling through doubt, will lead you, even after you have come to a position of strong faith, to respect and sympathize with those who doubt. So it really sums it up why we thought this was a good idea to talk, with, talk about doubt. This is our last conversation today about doubt. And so today I want to sit with two ideas. It'll be not too long, I don't think. But the first idea I want to sit with is simply the instability that doubt introduces, the instability that doubt creates in a person's life. What is it like to live with constant doubt? What kind of person is that, okay? And then second, um, what it looks like to love those around you who live lives full of doubt. So that's my map for today, so let's go. The instability doubt creates in someone's life. Um, At the most fundamental level, y'all, doubt creates uncertainty and therefore instability in a person. You know what I'm talking about? A person who's full of doubt is therefore often prone to anxiety and depression because the foundation on which he's walking on, he says, is this gonna hold me? (laughs) If you're on a journey and success in that journey is climbing a steep mountain to the top and you begin to doubt your ability to get to the top of the mountain, it's too difficult, it's too steep. What happens in your heart? I'm not gonna be able to do the thing I thought I was gonna be able to do. Well, you begin to despair, don't you? See, there is a connection between uncertainty and hopelessness. We tracking? And if you are unsure of something, your hope is deflated, like a little balloon, right? If you doubt your chances that, you know, you're going to win or whatever, or you're going to make it to the top, if you doubt that, it's just going to, I mean, I'm not talking about religious content, I'm just talking about life. If you doubt that, it's going to play itself out in your emotions. Uh, Let's just say you have a big test coming up. And this is going to determine whether or not you graduate as a person, right? You graduate the thing and go on to the next season of life. And you doubt your ability. What does it do to you? Well, it fills you with anxiety, right? And despair. Oh, I'm not going to read it. If I don't make it, I'm not going to just go on. It fills you with hopelessness when you doubt. It sucks. Doubt sucks the strength right out of you, Amen. right? If, if you used to be able to do a backflip, all right, it's been 20 years, and someone's like, hey, do a backflip. You're like, yeah, I think I can do. Oh, wait, can I? And have you ever seen someone try to do a backflip and then bail halfway through, right? They like jump and then all of a sudden in the middle of the air, they're like, this was a bad idea. And their legs and their arms flail and they fall on their head. That's what doubt does to you. It in a moment will suck the strength out of you. In a moment, the momentum you had in life just deflates, right? Uh, I uh, take my kids to a trampoline park, against my better judgment. We have a membership, and it has a multi-story, like, play place in it, and an obstacle course. You know, there's places, there's, like, really awesome playgrounds, and they're, like, tunnels and obstacle courses and all that. And, like, most of them are about five feet high, 
inside the tunnels. And so we play like really hard in these playgrounds, like really hard, like hide and seek. And we're screaming and yelling and running and all kinds of stuff. Well, the other day I was playing hard with my kids and I ran and I clocked one of the bars like right in the middle of my head. And I, I fell down on the ground. It was so hard. I fell down on the ground. And I was like, oh, and then my poor daughter, she goes, you're bleeding. I could hear the terror in her. And sure enough, dude, just all over. Um, it was hor- horrifying. We had to go home. Um, so the, 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 we, that was like two weeks ago. And so this past week, we went back to the place. And they're like, let's go play in the play place. And I was like, yeah. And so I went in. And instead of, you know, so the, I mean, I'm like crawling really slow now. And I'm, you know, and after, after like five minutes, they're like, this is lame. Let's go back to the train. I was like, yeah, this is lame. Because I doubt I had a deep, deep, like PTSD, dude. I was like actually terrified. Uh, had a deep doubt in my ability to navigate those stupid little things. Um, that's what doubt does to you. It slows you down, doesn't it? Yeah. All of a sudden, your confident stride is now a crawl. And you're not really certain if you're going to be able to do this or not. You're full of doubt. You're full of anxiety. If you begin to doubt the fidelity of your spouse, it fills you with overwhelming anxiety. I mean, conversations are changed. Every encounter has changed. Now you're full of insecurity. What once felt stable and safe, now that doubt has entered, now feels fragile and unsecure, insecure. When you begin to doubt their fidelity, we're not talking about evidence today. We're not looking at things that cause us to doubt or if they're going to be a, a faithful spouse. We, we admitted last time that's somewhat secondary. What we're just affecting today is the effects of doubt in a person. What does it do to you? What does it do to your ability to be happy? your ability to be productive, your ability to accomplish things, your ability to walk long-term goals out. What does it do to you? What does doubt do in relationships with God or other people, right? My daughter watches this ridiculously silly cartoon called Gumball. In one scene, the mom is, uh, is filled with doubt about everything she says or does. And so she's like, I'm gonna go cook dinner. I remember Granny's lasagna recipe, and this thing pops out of her head and says, or do you? (laughs) And then she's at work, and she's on the phone, and she says, hello, how may I help you? (laughs) Oh, that's an easy problem to fix. And this thing pops out and says, or is it? Let me patch you through. Or will you? And so from time to time, and it goes on and on, it's quite funny. Uh, From time to time, I'll be like, hey, I'm going to go cut the grass, and my daughter will pop around the corner. Or will you? (laughs) Right? Or I'll be like, okay, I know how to do that. And she'd be like, or do you? <laughs> a person who's full of doubt can't commit to anything. You can't commit to anything, dude. I wonder if it's because you're full of doubt that you don't think you can do it. Some of you don't think you can even be a Christian. Some of you think, some of you question whether or not you can be in a happy marriage. I can be in a happy marriage, or can you? I can be a Christian. Oh, Really? You think so? Doubt, at its most basic level, takes away certainty. And in the same vein, it's going to take away your ability to risk. You can't risk when you're full of doubt. It's going to take away your ability to do almost anything, right? Can you be in a happy marriage? Can you tackle that project? Can you live a holy life? Oh, you think you can establish healthy habits. (laughs) Remember the last time you tried to floss? That time you stopped trying to stop eating sugar? 
<laughs> doubt, right? Whether it's self, he's trying to do a sugar fast right now. Um, doubt, whether it's self-doubt or mistrust of others or mistrust of God can literally paralyze you as a person. A paralysis of doubts. Many today, I think, live lives utterly defeated, utterly depressed, impotent, unhealthy lives, not because of oppressive circumstances, because of oppressive doubts that they live with. They're just unsure. Does God really love me? I mean, is the Bible really relevant? Should I read it? Can I read it? Do I understand how to read it? And boom, you're paralyzed. Your Christian walk is at a crawl, if that's not a stride, nothing, no confidence in it. Guys, doubt at its most basic level just takes away your certainty in life, right? James comments on this dynamic of faith and doubt in people. He says, this is bizarre for us. He says, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Okay, well, that doesn't make any sense to me. For you know, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now, real quick, how is faith tested? By doubts. <laughs> That's what tests faith. That's how faith is tested. You doubt something. Did Bob go to the store? I believe he did. Or did he? Actually, he went to the library. You say you believe something when you don't know, when you think this is true. Doubting that is the test of that faith, you see? Will you continue believing something? Will you continue believing that this is trustworthy? Will, or will you allow this person, for example, is trustworthy? Or will you allow doubt to erode the relationship? Will you continue believing or not, right? Faith is tested by doubt. Do you reject them, the doubts? Do you embrace them? Do they plague you? Can you brush them off? James apparently sees the testing of our faith as an opportunity to dig in, not shrink away. I think it was Oswald Chambers who was commenting on this verse, and he said this. Um, well, I'll paraphrase it. Uh, James is looking at the testing of your faith like the waves of the ocean. Now, he's going to tease this out. James is going to tease this out later. Um, but waves, if you're at the ocean, and we're going to sit with this idea, so just get it in your head. Um, uh, waves can terrify you at the ocean, can they not? Or they can be exhilarating, depending on how you position yourself towards the wave. See, a vacationer on a float, and let's say big donut tube, right? That's what I like to, all right? They're going to see a wave as an inhibitor of joy. See, a wave is going to put to death their little nap they want to have. And so when they see a wave coming, <laughs> you know, and you try to get away from it, and oftentimes you, when you try to go away from it, the wave just whack, you know, just kills you, right? You're like, I'm out of here, going to the pool. Um, a vacationer is going to retreat from waves and sometimes get pummeled. A surfer, however, a surfer goes towards the waves. He rides the waves and receives his due joy because he, of how he has positioned himself towards the waves. He positions himself to ride it instead of being pummeled by it, which included him going towards what looks dangerous. He went towards it, not away from it, right? Well, then he turns around, then he goes with it, right? But he positions himself towards what some people would say, that's horrifying. He positions himself differently towards it, right? James is saying, hey, if you feel the swell coming, don't shrink back in fear. 
This is an opportunity for you to trust God in a more supernatural and miraculous way than you ever have before by pressing into the thing that looks terrifying and trusting amidst the waves, in the storms. The thing that was intended to crush you, he says, that actually can be the very thing that fills you with joy. Now, this is some, some bizarre Jedi Christian tricks right here, but something that maybe we might should spend some time thinking about, right? Consider it all joy, all joy, brothers. What a challenging perspective on suffering, right? He goes on, let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect, lacking nothing. What's he saying? What's he saying? He's saying that steadfastness affects you. It does something to you. Being faithful is working on you. It, when you are faithful to a thing, it's transforming you into a kind of person. If you hold the course, even when everything in you is saying, bail, 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 right? When the temperature gets turned up and you stay true, he says, that's impacting you. It's doing something. What's he say? It's, it's, it's going towards perfection. It's perfecting your soul. So he says, so if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like, here he goes, a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord because he's a double-minded man. He's unstable, not just with God, but in all of his ways. James is pointing out what, what doubt does to a life, not just with God, in all areas, right? Um, so let's sit with it. Imagine that of a raging sea. You guys seen Planet Earth or Blue Ocean or some of those? And they go down to the Southern Ocean and there's like this massive big, you know, swells and the, oh, the water's dark. And I tried to like hijack a clip of that, but you know, they got that stuff on lockdown. Um, dark, like uh, intimidating oceans. He compares um, a person full of doubt with a wave. The one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, driven and tossed. Waves, y'all, are driven and tossed. So just check out, let's just look at the picture, all right? The wave is not in control. The wave doesn't decide its course. It can't say, I'm gonna go down to South Beach, check out what's happening, no. Uh, the wave's not in control at all. It's being controlled by other forces that dictate the course of the wave, the wind. And he's saying, James is saying, this is what doubt does to your soul. It takes away your ability to guide your own life. And you live at the mercy of the forces around you. Why? Because you have no guiding conviction. Nothing that you're sure of. There's nothing firm. There's nothing resolute in your life. There's no confidence, no boldness. How could there be? You doubt it, right? And I use this picture often because it so clearly communicates the overwhelming helplessness that many of us feel in life, maybe even today. When you're at the beach, right? We're just at the beach today, okay? It's coming for some of y'all, right? Going on vacation soon? And you know when you're out there and the waves are just a little bit bigger than you're comfortable with, but you want to have a good time, you know, so you're out there and maybe you try to catch some or whatever. And then it just, one just gets you just right and like slaps you in the face and boom, you're down, right? And you're being tumbled in the sand and the water and you're <laughs> right, trying to breathe. And then finally you pop up and you're like, that was bam, you get hit again, Right? 
And then the tumble and the tumble and the tumble. And then you're like, oh my gosh, that was great. And bam, hit again, right? And then and it over and over and over. And after too much of that, some of you have experienced this. You're like, I'm going to die. Like someone, you're just, a, we're just feet and hands and, and the, the white, all the whitewash there. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Like it's terrifying. You guys been there? You done that? You're like, I don't get out in the waves. I stay in the, play in the pool. That's all right. It's okay. It's fine. Dude, it's overwhelming. Some of us right now, that's where we're at in life. Like, it's just one thing after the other, after the other, and you're dragging against the sand, and you're trying to barely get your mouth above the circumstance to get some sort of sustenance and air and strength for your soul, and wham! And sometimes life can feel merciless, can't it? Sometimes we can just barely get by doing the best we can. It feels like we're getting dragged along the bottom of the ocean. And when that happens, you get really scared, don't you? Panic fills your mind. You start to think, am I upside down? Am I right side up? You're completely disoriented. And in the the bottom of your heart, you're thinking, this will never stop. And when we surrender to that despair, we stop trying, don't we? When we doubt that the waves will stop, when we doubt our ability to find our footing underneath us, we give up. And some of us have done it. Some of you have given up on your walk with God because every time you try, a wave hits you again. Let me tell you something. There are spiritual forces in the world, sister and brother. You should expect every time you get your footing on the firm foundation of the grace of Jesus Christ to be slapped in the face. Welcome to church. (laughs) Right? You should expect. If I'm going to dig, I'm going to live a holy life, dadgummit. Everything in me says I can't. I'm going to try. I'm going to put, my, I'm going to put one foot in front of the other. I'm going to do it. I'm going to try. You should expect. It's like as it's like soon as you set your course to follow Jesus, it's like a bullseye right on. My, I was always in, like, right on the back of your head. I was always encouraged, don't go into ministry, dude. Don't go into ministry. Like, pick something else. Make money, you know? Do something else. As soon as you go into ministry, it's like a big bullseye on the back of your head. And they're right. You set your life to follow Jesus in any way that contradicts your flesh. It's like a bullseye on the back of your head. And things will get difficult. And when we fall down under the difficulty and refuse to get back up and refuse to stay the course, and we begin to doubt things, it's just, it's a never-ending cycle. And we, be, we begin to get hopeless. And when we don't feel like we can find our footing, we give up. Man, I just wonder right now for some of us in this room that we have this deep doubt of the goodness of God. And therefore, when circumstance pummels us, we have no resolve to get back up. The trustworthiness of Jesus, y'all, is the way that you will make it through the Christian life. We do not trust in our ability to find our footing. We trust that Jesus is a firm foundation underneath us even when we can't find our footing. Like, and with all the you know, cultural pressures we feel when our doubts barrel down on us, all, we feel all the more uncertain and unstable. And, and now I say all these things because I'm, I'm trying to create a picture for you. I'm trying to create a picture um, that we can relate to people. Now, some of you, you know, you're like, I don't, it's not me. I'm doing great. Well, good for you. Okay. What I'm curious about is how do you relate to someone who's struggling with that type of picture? How do you relate to the person who's getting pummeled out there in the ocean? <laughs> just, just sit there, sit there and you're, oh, he got hit again. Oh, oh, almost got out, right? Some of us are side chair Christians. We have no compassion on those who are being pummeled by the waves of life. We do not interfere with their chaos. We just watch them. We think, well, well maybe, maybe they'll make it. You know when people go through grief and sorrow, like they lose a loved one, and you're like, ah, oh, it's so awkward. Can I just reach out? Step into the grief with them. 
don't leave them alone because you're awkward about it. I think some of us, man, we're, we're just too chicken to wrestle with the doubts that many people live in. We're, we're afraid to jump in with them, or we're too lazy. We'd just rather armchair as they're despairing for their Christian walk. What is your response, y'all, to people who are struggling through doubts, who don't think God's good, who don't see his grace as real? Do you care? Does it concern you at all? Because I can tell you right now, you got people in your life that don't experience the love of Jesus. Now, I didn't say go to church or are a Christian, because I don't care if they go to church or if they call themselves a Christian. I'm talking about experiencing the love of Jesus. You got people in your life that don't know it. They're, they are being tumbled about by the winds and the waves of society and culture, and they are completely disoriented. Now, as a Christian, you can sit there and judge their disorientation. You can sit there and say, I got it figured out. Why can't they? You can sit there and watch them struggle through their sexuality with contempt and judgment in your heart. You can sit and watch them struggle through their political beliefs and the political waves and pressures on them with contempt and judgment in your heart, right? You can sit there and watch them struggle through their beliefs of Christianity, saying, it's so simple. Why don't you just believe? You know, there's one biblical position towards those who doubt. You know what it is in Jude? It says, have mercy on those who doubt. And the reason I wanted to give you that picture is because there's people in your life right now who are being tossed and tumbled in doubts. They don't believe in the goodness of God. And what is your response to that? Does it matter? Does, it, does compassion fill your heart when you see someone like that? Or you think, just get your life together, dude. Why are you homeless anyway? I'm not gonna give you any money. You're just gonna spend it on drugs. There is a response, a biblical response to those who are struggling with doubt, and it is compassion, y'all. We so often have a self-righteous, holier-than-thou judgmentalism when we see people struggling through doubt. We call it, you know, backsliding or whatever. We have all these religious things. Religious people, religious people, they often have very confident assertions just in the wrong things. Let me tell you what I mean by that. When our confidence and our faith is in our rightness instead of the mercy of God, you can't help but judge others. Some of us are so confident in our doctrinal rightness that anyone who smells of any other doctrine, they're idiots. Those dumb charismatic Christians, those dumb, I mean, every church does this, y'all. Every church does this. You go to any church and they think, we got it figured out. We do it the right way, right? Not like those guys down the street right? There's, they, they don't sing the right kind of songs, right? They, they, don't, they got this thing on. They read out the wrong translation of the Bible, right? Dude, I'm telling you, self-righteous judgment, just rife through Christian culture, man. Right? And we, we sit on top of this doctrinal rightness and we lose, completely lose the compassion of God. Completely lose this. Why? When Jesus talks to the Pharisees, he's like, man, you've neglected the weightier issues of the law, justice and the love of God, Right? See, our confidence, y'all, is not in our rightness. In fact, if anything as a Christian, it's in our wrongness and that God has loved you despite your wrongness. Like that's what our confidence is in, right? Not in the fact that we've got it all figured out, but the fact that we did not have it figured out and he loved me in, in spite of it. 
That's the beautiful confidence of the gospel, that our confidence is in his generosity, his compassion, his grace, right? And that he comforted us even when we were full of doubt and being tumbled in the waves and seas. Have you ever felt the Holy Spirit give you a type of peace and love as you pray? Have you ever felt the Holy Spirit descend on you as you open the Bible and the peace and the love of God come around you and envelop you? If you felt it, then when you see someone struggling through doubt, then your heart's filled with compassion because you want them to know the peace that you've experienced. And I think many of us, when we just get in our Christian life, we just get lazy and complacent because we forget what it's like to feel chaotic and have the peace of God come in and speak peace to a very chaotic life. And, and so, sometimes Christians, we, we just can't resist. When we, when we talk to someone who's full of doubt, we can't resist the need to prove that we are right. Right? And like I said, it's especially true if we get a bunch of Christians in there. But really, I want to, I want to uh, guide your heart towards talking with non-Christians about their doubt. In our day and age, <laughs> a difference of opinion may be the most threatening thing some of us can imagine. You know what I'm talking about? Like some of us just crumble if someone doesn't think exactly the way we think. Right? And therefore, insecure people are horrible at walking with others through their own doubts. However, if we have an authentic faith, like a firm faith, when the love of God is not some ambient, distant idea, but like an abiding reality in our life, when we see others not experiencing that, our hearts break. We're full of compassion for them. It fills you with, you long for them to experience the love that you've experienced as a Christian, right? And today, I wanted you to feel the instability that doubt creates. I wanted you to uh, just relate to the waves crashing over you, to the desperation of disoriented, of living a disoriented life. And, and to just see how the Bible describes those in doubt. It's just, it's horrible, right? It's overwhelming. It's scary. And when you look at someone in the eyes who's struggling with doubts, who's think, saying things like, God can't love me, I think Christianity is a bunch of nonsense, we're sometimes we're just, we, we don't know what to say or we try to defend ourselves or think we're right. I, let me just tell you one little bit and then we'll get out of here, okay? I had, um, I had friends, I've been a Christian some time. I've had friends um, straight up turn on me because they rejected Jesus. And so because that didn't work out for them and, and Jesus was no longer whatever, the, you know, they turned on me because for whatever reason, I represented Jesus to them. And they came at me with all their venom and hatred and cynicism, right? And I remember my one, my one friend, dude, just put his finger on my chest and just telling me how, how this is a bunch of bull, you know? Leave this stuff, right? Just, he just unloaded his rage on God on me, right? And if that happens to you, or if you see that, which we do see it, don't we? Don't we see a rage against God in our society and culture? Um, I just wanted you to be aware of all the forces that are at play in their life. It's possible that the rage and the venom that we see towards Christianity, right, is their own reaction to feeling horribly unsafe and exposed. It could be that the rage and the venom that they bring out on God and Christians and all this stuff, it could be the fact that their feet have been swept out so many times that they can't see, they can't see up from down, and they're crying out to you, listen, when people turn on, on God or on Christianity, on Christians or on churches, oftentimes, you know what's really happening? They're saying, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And you know how it comes out? You guys are hypocrites. You guys are jokes. Jesus, Jesus, nothing, right? 
And I just wanted you to feel there are dynamics going on in their life. And if we get defensive when people turn on churches or Christianity, it's just a selfish, I mean, it's just a, a cycle of hatred, right? I've been in the room, I've seen it happen when people just rage out on God and on Christianity and we get defensive and then what do we do? We lash back out at them, right? And you may be here right now saying, yeah, that's exactly how I feel about God. I'm angry as a hornet when it comes to God and Jesus, right? And man, can you look at people like that in the eyes and instead of getting defensive, maybe you can look underneath what they're saying and cry with them without belittling their experience or their opinion, and like get beside them and say, man, God's at work in the mess. I know, I know it doesn't feel like that, but he loves you despite how it feels right now, right? I, I just want to, I want to suggest an utterly radical position for many people. Um, and, and it's just this two words. Love listens. Love listens. When people are working through doubt and grief, look at me. It is not time to correct their theology. Have you read the Psalms? Some of you would correct David's theology. You can't, you can more, you're more religious than the Bible. You can't say that to God, right? <laughs> Listen, when people are working through grief and tribulation and temptation, right, sorrow, it's, it's not time to lecture them on the sovereignty of God, bro. It's time to love them to get beside them, to walk with them through the darkness, lazy Christian. Shoulder up next to them. Bear the weights. We're called to weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn, to bear the burdens of the weaker vessel. Man, that's how we're going to make an impact on our culture and society, on this community. Not by proving we're right, but by listening to those who think we're wrong and saying, buddy, I hear you. Let me, let me get up under that with you, and I want to push that burden up with you in the name of Jesus. Isn't it fascinating? That's how it works. That's how love works, right? We get under the burden, and we push it up with them. The, the Jesus that they are maligning, we get up under, and we push it up in the name of Jesus. You guys got it? Love weeps with those who weep, but listens with those who listens. It walks through them with the darkness, just like Jesus did on the road to Emmaus, disguised as he was walked with his disciples through their, through their theological incorrectness. They had completely missed it. And what does he say? Tell me about what you think. Tell me about it, right? He invited, he asked questions, he drew them out. So why conclude with this, right? Why conclude with this? Because we as a church are trying to create an atmosphere on Wednesday nights where people can come ask real questions. And my prayer is that we fill this room with people who are not Christians, who doubt who don't have the love of God in their hearts and minds. And you, uh, we would be naive to think that people wouldn't come to something like that just to rage out on Christians, just to say, oh, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites, right? right? And what, what is our response when this happens? We have to see this with, with compassion in our eyes. You see what I'm trying to say? I will be here on Wednesday nights throughout the summer doing everything in my power to create an atmosphere where non-believers can come in and feel comfortable and ask difficult questions, Right? Uh, who aren't experiencing the love of God, right? Um, so we're going to end tonight, or today, what is it, the morning? Feels like night. Been going on for hours, hadn't I? Um, we're going to end um, with, I want you to listen to some people that are working through their honest doubts about God, okay? And then, and then, we'll, get out, then we'll receive communion. We'll get out of here. So on Wednesday nights, I don't know if you found any of those questions compelling or interesting, 
Um, but those are the type of questions that we are going to be wrestling with and inviting other people to come wrestle with us. Um, so this Wednesday, we're going to have kind of a mock alpha where you can experience what the evenings are going to be like. I will very rarely invite someone to something I don't know what it is, right? And so we want you to have an experience of what it feels like and what's going to be happening. And those are some of the questions that we're going to be wrestling with, open-ended questions where we'll be able to sit with people and talk through some very interesting conversations, Christian or not. And so either way, I think you'll enjoy it. But this Wednesday, we're going to do kind of a, a walkthrough um, where we're going to feed you guys dessert if you guys can come, 7 o'clock, uh, sit down dessert. We're going to watch some training videos that are going to set the tone for what Alpha is. And here's the deal. We're not really marketing for this. Uh, we're relying on you guys to invite people in your life who may not be walking in the love of God or experience God. Um, and, and, if, and if that doesn't happen, it's going to feel kind of like a waste of time and resources. So this is what I want you to do, man. I want you to pray with me about three people in your life um, that do not walk with God, um, who you would take the risk and invite them, not to this Wednesday because this is just for us, but on, starting on June 7th and every Wednesday night after that. And so we have cards in the cafe, and they have spots for three people's names. And, and what the card is asking you to do is at 11.02 every day, pray for those three people. Um, so on your way out, I want you to grab them and grab one of those cards. And if you would like to participate in this, um, man, my heart is just all in on this. Um, I want to challenge you to grab one of those cards on the table out there and write three people's names down that do not know God that are in your life. And begin praying with them. And if you get the guts to invite them on a Wednesday night. But first, come this Wednesday and experience what's, what it's going to be like, okay? Now, let's come to the table, guys.